The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. So, Matt, years ago, even before we started the show, when we first met, one of the things that you and I talked about was the oil industry. Uh, do, you, do you remember those conversations when we were wee young laddies? Yeah, I, I seem to recall just maybe some anger that came out early on when we were covering the oil industry. It's one of those industries that we've been hearing about for a long time as the big bad, kind of. This is the, the oil industry is the reason why a lot of global conflicts occur that's why a lot of wars get started, and uh, we're definitely interested in it. The thing we miss out on a lot, at least early on in these conversations, is the environmental impact to the earth when something goes wrong. Yeah, and that's something that we really dive into in this week's classic episode. We talk about the ecological damage that can occur when oil spills or gas leaks hit the environment. And, you know, it's interesting, too that even back in 2016, when we first recorded this, people were already sort of inured to the idea of a gas leak. It was like something that would hit the news so often that you just started uh, kind of ignoring them unless they were really, really big. And that's that's what brings us to stories of things like Porter Ranch. And there, there are some questions that you and I ask in this one that still stick with me. You know, how how many of these disasters actually occur each year? How many are actually reported? How successful are companies at covering them up? Well, let's find out. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now 
or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. And I am Ben. Uh, most importantly, as we like to say at the top, you are you, we hope, which makes this stuff they don't want you to know. And we've got a little bit of uh, administrative business before we, we really dive into today's topic, right? Yes, we anticipated a bit of, uh, let's say, helpful feedback. When I was going to say backlash. Well, no, I mean, people are trying to clarify, right, for mm-hmm. for us the way they feel about things or what the way they think something went down. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the great thing about this conversation that we have. We get to talk for a while about what we've discovered, and then you listen and you tell us. Yeah, so previously – oh, wait, let's do it. Like, uh, Can you do like a previously on Lost kind of thing? Previously on stuff they don't want you to know. We spoke about the modern militias, right, the uh, militia movement in the U.S., specifically uh, the uh, occupiers in Oregon at a wildlife refuge. Which represents multiple militia groups and non-militia groups. Mm -hmm. And is now uh, united uh, under the organization, the Citizens for Constitutional Freedom, led by a fellow named Ammon Bundy. Whenever we touch uh, most topics, we know that there are going to be, um, there are going to be responses from people who agree with us and think we didn't go far enough or people who completely fundamentally disagree with us. And one thing that I really appreciate about that is that it gives us a good sense of what we're doing right and what we can improve upon. Because if no one ever disagreed with us, that would mean we're doing something massively wrong. But even more importantly, listeners, as I've said before, uh, the three of us might be on the air, but for everyone who is listening to this, this is, this is your show and our best ideas come from you and some of our best feedback or, uh, some of the, the best leads for stuff we should look into, uh, come from you as well. So in the time between since we last recorded and since this episode is being recorded, uh, I read a lot of email, read a lot of YouTube comments and some tweets as well. And there were, uh, there were a couple of really good points that were raised that I feel like we must address so that other listeners who checked out our previous episode will get some of the full picture. So I want to just take a second to add, uh, briefly some information that didn't make it into our last episode. And, uh, I also want to thank all of you who wrote in to help us out with this. So we didn't talk very much about the Bureau of Land Management, which controls a lot of rancher rights and federally owned land uh, in the U.S. So one of the background stories uh, about the Hammonds, uh, Dwight and Steve Hammond, who were ranchers that um, their incarceration and resentencing, which is a, a really rare thing that kind of smacks a double jeopardy. Uh, they, they were the catalyst for this occupation by Bundy and the Citizens for Constitutional Freedom. Uh, they were charged with two crimes or they were charged, you know, with uh, arson essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we read some other sources and, uh, we, we found that, uh, there's, 
this belief that the Bureau of Land Management was actually um, stitching these guys up, framing them essentially because they refused to sell their land to Uncle Sam and that the Bureau of Land Management was grabbing all of the other private land in the area and then started like depriving them of water sources with their cattle um, and also edging them out the way that a city would um, a city would use, you know, eminent domain or something or private developers. Sure, sure. Buying up all the mm-hmm. land around a certain area so that you can have a big mixed use mm-hmm. community thing yeah. come in. And we wanted to make sure we we at least brought that into the conversation. So again, a huge thank you to all of all of you out there who helped us out to look at that. Uh also, side note, we heard that the Hammonds did notify the Bureau of Land Management before initiating their first burn, which was in the early 2000s. Yeah, it seems like a responsible thing to do for a group of people who are just going to go out and set a fire, you know, on purpose to hurt people. If that's, you know, when you're trying to when they were trying to um, prosecute these guys, there are all these questions about. Is it going to cause harm to another human being? Could it cause harm to other livestock? Could it cause harm to all these other things? And, you know, when you're going to go and tell the Bureau of Land Management that you're going to do this and for this purpose, I don't know. It For me, it, call, it calls into question a little bit of the argument about the severity of why the, these mandatory minimums should be enforced. Or it, it could also call into argument reasonably the motivations of this agency, the Bureau of Land Management. So we want to put that out there. If you want to have some more information about this, uh, you can search the Internet pretty easily. Uh, I found some stuff. You know, I know a lot of our listeners don't care for InfoWars, and it's true that InfoWars, like many other outlets, has its own bias, right? So you have to be aware of bias anytime you check it out. InfoWars has uh, information on this, Daily Wire as well. Yeah, there. I would say if you were going to use – I I have to just fight back really fast. I think InfoWars is a fine source only because you can use a lot of times what's being blogged about there, and there will be links to other sources or something that they are sourcing, and that's what I use InfoWars for. Okay. Um, I, I, I just, I really think that you can use that as a, a jumping off point almost. And I, I sometimes when you know – Maybe some of the biases that go into a certain kind of reporting, that's a helpful place to jump off from as well in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's not a bad, that's not a bad idea. Often when we're sort of like watching Fox News, you know, to get a certain perspective and they're watching MSNBC yeah. and figuring out what's in the middle. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say because when we're delving into a topic, what I often try to do is find the, uh, if there are two sides to it, find those sides. Find the clear advocates of each of those sides and read what they're saying and, and what in, they're not saying and what they're not saying. And from that attempt to triangulate a position and then, of course, trying to find the holy grail of research, which would be pure data, pure statistics that are not muddied by agenda. And that is a very difficult thing to find. So anyhow, we wanted to thank you for that. You can check out this you can check out this side of that argument by uh, searching Hammond land grab. Yep. And uh, with that, without further ado, uh, let's go into today's topic, which is something that uh, you brought to the table, right, Matt? This is something that piqued my interest. Uh, a current event that's coming out of California and Los Angeles County. 
Uh, it's a gas leak that is occurring that I think we're going to get into a little bit later, at least the specifics about it. Sure. But it's something that made, I think, us all think about what what happens when there is an environmental disaster from a company that is meant to or that is trying to make energy out of a fossil fuel or another type of gas, a natural gas, when there is an accident or when something is leaking or, you know, these are volatile chemicals a lot of the times Mm -hmm. and they're in huge amounts being stored somewhere or, you know, in either stored in the earth in a giant pocket or in a big facility. And, you know, it's dangerous. So just to be clear, this is not an episode about nuclear catastrophe. This is not about, uh, that's a whole other thing. This is not about Chernobyl or Fukushima. Well, yeah. And just really quick speaking of that, Chernobyl, that disaster, sure. RT, I noticed, put a story out talking about this, uh, this leak that we're going to talk about. And they said it's a Chernobyl in LA, essentially. Huh. And, uh, no, it is not a Chernobyl in LA. It is dangerous and is not good, but it is not Chernobyl. That's, I mean, I'm always a little suspect of hyperbole of that magnitude. Huh. Yeah. That's a very, that's a, that's a good point. It does, uh, get people to click on the website though, right? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. I guess that's the age we're living in, which kind of brings us to the bigger question that we're posing today, which is how do corporations or do corporations cover up fossil fuel leaks or in general? other disasters like this. Oh, I'll be honest. I'm excited about this one because sometimes we look at things where we'll say, well, this is a theory, mm-hmm. you know, this is likely to some degree, or there is some sort of seed of truth. But ladies and gentlemen, today, that is not the case. We're going to, we're talking specifically about these disasters concerning fossil fuels and the aftermath or the lead up to, but I do want to leave space at the end for us to talk about other oil-related or fossil fuel-related conspiracies, because I think there's so much here that we're not going to get to in the space of this episode. Anyhow, you guys know that we are part of an outfit called How Stuff Works, so we like to start at the basic, simplistic stuff and then build our build our school of thought, mm-hmm. right, or our analysis from there. So let's start with first things first. Uh, what what is a fossil fuel? So a fossil fuel is basically a hydrocarbon deposit, like petroleum or coal or natural gas, which comes from accumulated remains of ancient plants or animals. Uh, people often joke that you know we're driving around with uh, dinosaur remains, you know, uh, in our uh, in our cars. Right, cars are powered by exploding dinosaur exactly. corpses. That's much better. Than yes, it, it's carbon, right? It's any carbon-based life form that is embedded. Pretty deep within the earth or in tar sands. And do you not species. remember a time when you found this out where you were like, that's crazy. Like, I thought fossils were, were precious. You know, I thought like <laughs> we needed to preserve these things and put them in museums. We just, we're just going to burn them up in our stupid cars. Mm. Well, know, yeah, it's very different. Yeah. Me. It's very different. It's not a brontosaurus bones. Yeah. <laughs> right. Isn't <laughs> it though? Matt, hold on there. And I'm going to put my skeptic shirt on. Hold on one second. <clears throat> Okay, now that I've got this on. That is a fine shirt, by the way. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's very nice. It's got a Jurassic Park logo mm-hmm. on it. Mm. Appropriate. Right? I feel like you're getting at something. Here. No, I'm not getting anything. Uh, it's just something that I remember hearing about a little while ago. This gas company that I was not around, I was not, <laughs> I was about 50 years before I was born. 
they decided to put a dinosaur on, as their logo, the Sinclair Oil Corporation, I think it was called. And it, it led to this huge myth that dinosaur fossils in fossil fuels are, that's what's in fossil fuels. Obviously, dinosaurs. Well, I mean, it seems like it's probably not true. The, the hydrocarbons that were formed way back when, we're talking about hundreds of millions of years before dinosaurs, at least according to what we believe the, scientifically. The timeline doesn't work out. Not, not quite. Thank you for putting that particular myth to bed. I didn't. I didn't put it to bed. It's still awake and it's running around. I don't know. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's in bed. Well, good night. Uh, well, let's talk about specifically the kind of fossil fuels you mentioned, Noel. So we have some pretty good introductions to what fossil fuels are from something called the Environmental and Energy Study Institute. Uh, these, these folks have pretty good descriptions about the three primary sources of fossil fuel. So one, let's start with the, the big guy, the, the front man of the band is oil. Oil is the world's primary fuel source. And it looks like it's still going to be for a little while, given how much cheaper it is today. Most oil that you or I or you know, you Matt would use is extracted by being pumped out of underground reservoirs. And it can also be found in shale and tar sand. Shout out to fracking. Once this stuff is extracted, however, you can't use it right away. You can't drive up to an oil derrick and pop a nozzle in your in your car and drive off uh, or if you try you will not get very far at all uh, crude oil has to be processed in oil refineries to create different end products like oil uh, gasoline you would use in your car liquefy petroleum gas and other stuff too that you know sometimes we don't think about as quickly like pesticides or fertilizers plastics even yeah oh especially plastics yeah and right now the u.s leads the world in consumption of petroleum around 19, a little bit over 19 million barrels a day, uh, in 2014 and imports 4.5 million barrels a day. The main countries that are exporting this product to the U S are Canada, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and Nigeria. And again, for a long time, most of the U.S.'s foreign oil didn't come from the Middle East. It came from Canada. Common misconception. But while oil is the prime mover huh, in terms of its use in transit, uh, it is by no means able to replace the other two sorts of fossil fuel, right? All right. So another biggie is coal. Which oh, yeah. is, yeah, mm -hmm. it's primarily used for electricity generation and it's responsible for about 39% of the electric power supply in the United States as of 2014, which is down by half from 2007. Mm -hmm. And the, I think the U.S. produces something like 11.5% of the world's coal power or at least uses 11.5%. It's one of those things, too, where because of EPA regulations, it's becoming less and less cost effective for the companies that are making the money to build new coal plants. In fact, you very rarely see new coal plants being built because they have to install these scrubbers, you yeah, know, and like right. it's all these new Clean EPA coal. regulations. No such thing. But they are able to, you know, minimize or let's say mitigate some of the environmental concerns, which, well, as we know, are yeah. a big deal when it comes to coal. And in several in several states, uh, some of which uh, you 
you may find yourself in today, listeners, such as West Virginia, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, etc. Uh, coal production is a huge part of the economy, and you can imagine the economic effects that occur when some when fifty percent of the country's uh, electric system relies on coal, and then it plummets to 39%. Yeah, I mean, it's like some of the areas, even around here in Georgia, where like the uh, the uh, local economies were tied very closely to the housing market, for example. Right. So that kind of manufacturing of materials for mm-hmm. housing went away. Mm-hmm. Certain counties, their unemployment rate went through the roof. Similarly, in some of these areas where coal mining is king, um, that's there's really nothing else to do. There's really no other jobs. So if that right. you know drops, then you're having some problems finding and, employment. And can I take a, a? Well, I'm going to ask for forgiveness rather than permission because there is something that often bugs me that a lot of people don't understand when you hear people touting hybrid or alternative energy cars and saying, oh, well, I'm not hooked on the fossil fuels. I'm doing my part. Uh, that's fine if that's what you want to believe, as long as you're not smug about it. Don't don't ever be smug about what you're doing. It's gross. Just don't be smug. Just don't be smug. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Here's why, especially if you have an acquaintance or a friend or a relative who does that kind of holier-than-thou act, check which state you're in. Because if you are driving an electric car in a state using coal-powered electric plants, then what they are doing is driving a coal-powered car full stop and they're just putting the source of the fossil fuel a little bit further away philosophically. So feel free to bust them. And if they have a problem with it, send them to me. I mean, I think it's a, it's a personal philosophical bonus, let's say. Um, you know, for me, having a hybrid is largely about just being more efficient, you know, in terms of, uh, gas mileage and things like that. Sure. You know, it's a nice, it's nice to be able to feel like you are maybe making a little bit of a difference, but let's not, let's not fool ourselves. But right. let's also right. not be cynical, Ben. Well, not, every little bit helps. It's, it is true that every little bit helps, right? And if a lot of people do a little bit, then it, it adds up, sure. But when we talk about coal, as huge of a deal as coal is here in the U.S., this is a very small slice of the pie in the larger context, right? Which brings us to China, which is the global leader in coal production, responsible for 45% of the world's supply. And as we know, there are places in China where you just can't breathe. You, right, you got to wear a mask. You just can't. You're just going to... You know, it's just not not possible. And the government is is working to uh, to somehow mitigate that. But, yeah, to the point where it is dangerous, medically dangerous to be exposed for too long and spend too much time. And I'm not trying to be on a soapbox here, but this is a, a somewhat of a window into unchecked, you know, capitalism. You know, it's it's funny that you say that, because remember, within. Our lifetimes, within your lifetime as well, listener, quite possibly, uh, the country of China, the People's Republic of China was painted as this ultimate, uh, communist mm-hmm. collective. But what we see is that there, it, it's not quite as, uh, clear cut. It's a hybrid. Mm, I guess I use the sorts. word capitalism loosely. I just mean in terms of unchecked industry, unchecked, you know, well, yeah, and, and also industrial revolution uh, of ways, the the sure. evolution of industries over time and use of energy 
Like you, it's this weird ladder that you climb up as technology increases and as you get more capital and you can, you can put more money into that. And there's uh one of my old professors used a phrase that I thought was interesting. He said that when the manufacturing bases of the world moved toward China, which may not be the case for too much longer, when manufacturing bases moved toward China, what was really occurring was that the countries who were manufacturing stuff in China were really just outsourcing their pollution. Yeah. So just like driving a hybrid car in a coal-powered state, it's still the same thing. It's just further away. Just push it over there. Further away philosophically, farther away geographically. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest, guys. The world as it stands today cannot function without coal. It, it, it just cannot at this point. Now, in our lifetimes, it is quite possible that coal will not be as important as it is. But for now, if all the coal just vanished, it would... It, the lights would go out it would be in a, a lot of places. Terrible situation, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's not even the all of the fossil fuel. We've got one more, right? Now we have this thing, this thing called natural gas, which I always loved. It's, a great it's name. called natural gas. It feels so, I don't know, gluten free. What is unnatural gas? Is it? <laughs> well, is it being trapped in the elevator look, with a flatulent person? I, as the new father of a young child, I know what unnatural <laughs> gas is. Oh man. Uh, but <laughs> okay. But anyway, great marketing, great name. Yes. Um, so natural gas comprised roughly 27% of the United States total energy use in 2014. So almost a third. Almost a third. You may have seen this stuff everywhere. You may have seen buses riding around your town that are run on natural gas or maybe mm-hmm. some big trucks, mm-hmm. maybe a couple. I don't know if it's FedEx or UPS or which one of those that's using natural gas. It's also used to produce non-transportation things, too, similar to oil, right? Yeah, sure. If you've got a gas-powered, let's say, water heater in your house or a stove like I do, a gas-powered stove, uh, even lights sometimes. Natural gas is in your paint, your plastics, your fertilizer. So the U.S. actually produces about 19.8% of the world's natural gas and consumes about 21.5%. And natural gas is most commonly transported by pipeline, right. which makes Canada a really, really important player and exporter to the United States, while Russia continues to be the main supplier for most of Europe, much through, of Europe, actually. Yeah, through the state-owned company Gazprom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pipeline... The pipeline stuff is fascinating because you can look at maps of proposed pipelines and you can also look at maps of wars in or conflicts in mm-hmm. Central Asia and the Middle East and perhaps be surprised by mm, potential correlation between the two. And even, you know, there's a new... There's a new trend, or I don't want to call it new, but there's a growing trend to ship this stuff, liquefied natural gas, via ship rather than via pipeline because there's a growing demand for this sort of fuel. One of the benefits or potential benefits of natural gas is that it burns a lot cleaner than coal and oil, so you're not going to get as many of the pollutants, especially when you're burning the stuff. Um, I think there's something like zero sulfur dioxide emissions and then there's all there's also a lot less nitrogen oxide and then these little particulate emissions they get released when you burn the stuff so that i mean i would say that's a big plus for natural Mm -hmm. gas and for anyone who wants to be in that business 
And for anyone who wants that, who was going to have natural gas near their home, let's say. Mm-hmm. All right. So as we're getting to, uh, as we're getting to the crazier part, the stranger part of the show, uh, let's just do some statistics real quick. Are you guys okay if I do a few more statistics? I like those. Stat it up, man. All right. So global oil consumption over 2014, it grew, but it only grew a little bit. It grew less than 1%. It grew 0.8%. And it was even smaller for coal and natural gas. They each increased by about a little less than half a percent. So even though this demand is still increasing, which is what the, the opposite of what a lot of world leaders want, uh, the uh, several countries got together, the G7, which would be Japan, Canada, United Kingdom, France, Italy, Germany, U.S., the, the whole crew, they have agreed to phase out the use of fossil fuels by, get this, the end of the century, which sounds like a, a long time, right? Here we are in 2016, but it's not very long at all if you consider, again, the statistics we just said about energy use. So there is increased uh, energy consumption in most of the world, but it's not quite in line with uh, it's not quite in line with some of the expectations. So there there's more energy consumption, more people are using uh, fossil fuels in North America and on the continent of Africa. However, in the European Union, it's actually declining which is which is going to uh which is going to come back in in several different shows we do later uh global oil production growth over 2014 again these are the most recent numbers we have uh popped up by 2 million barrels a day uh non opec production increased by 2.1 barrels a day and that's the largest increase in the history of humanity measuring this stuff so if we look at just the U.S. specifically, our friends at British Petroleum, uh, uh, according to their estimation, the U.S. is the world leader in both oil and natural gas production, and we're regaining that title in oil. We, last time we had it was 1975. I love how I'm saying we as though I get a check at the end of the day for it. It's the royal we. It's the royal we, right? Uh, and we're in the U.S. using the royal we. Look at look at us. <laughs> la di da. La di da. The U.S. Uh, produced 11.6 billion barrels of oil in 2014. Billion with a B. Uh, and that overtakes both uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia, who were producing. Uh, Saudi Arabia was producing 11.5 billion barrels. And a lot of people don't think about the U.S. outproducing Saudi Arabian oil. And it's by a slim margin, but it's still, uh, it's still there. The current state of legislation, as we said, G7 and other countries have these big plans, big plans, right? We're going to have, we're going to have solar energy that's super efficient. We'll be powered by the sun and the wind and the water, like some kind of captain planet. Well, it's possible. I think it's still possible. It ben. is abs- It is absolutely. It is absolutely possible. They just need, you know, a couple trillion dollars 
to set all the infrastructure up, and then we're good. Yeah, I like the idea of combining these different um, sources, too. You know, you got, like, when the sun doesn't shine, you got the wind. When you got the there's water. I was reading a thing uh, the other week about how, I think it's Portland, of course, um, has installed turbines in the plumbing, uh, uh-huh. like the city uh, sewage pipes. So when people flush the toilet, it turns these turbines, and they use it to generate some amount of electricity that gets fed into the grid. So, I mean, we know these uh, solutions exist. It's just a matter of a little innovation and a little bit of, um, you know, investment. Uh, but there's a give and take to this because the push for alternative energy often waxes and wanes based on the price of a barrel of oil. Yep. So when oil was a hundred dollars, hundred US dollars a barrel, then any alternative source that could match that cost, that price point makes sense. And now that the price of oil is plummeting, there is less of an incentive. So what what's going to happen? This doesn't mean it's impossible. It's such a narrow view of it, though. You know, I mean, it just feels right. like you're not looking at the real issue. I don't know. Not you. It's first. the dollar right. bill, the, son. You got to look the at the general dollar you, bill. the general you and the royal we. We're starting an army of pronouns. A hypothetical army. <laughs> yeah, a hypothetical army. But that, you know, that's a great point. That's something that we're going to see happening over and over again over the next few years, right? However, in the long term, that's the goal. That's everybody's goal. It doesn't matter what ideology there is. It is the goal is to create some sort of uh energy source that is that frees us from the the strange uh the, the strange cycle of fossil fuel. And right now, fossil fuel is it still a huge business? You know, oil companies have fundamentally affected the direction of human civilization from the way nations are formed to the way they fall from the which currency people around the world use. And many times people will say that oil companies are not playing even in the modern day. They're not playing according to the rules. And we're going to get into that right after we take a short break and hear a message from our sponsor. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. 
Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. So these ideas... Corporations covering up oil spills, fossil fuel leaks, are not conspiracy theories. They are conspiracy facts. We're going to talk about a couple of examples here, and we'd like to hear your opinion of this, especially if you have personal experience with with these events. And I have uh, somewhat, I have a little bit, actually, vicariously, from a, a previous, uh, let's call it previous life or something. But... Uh, the first one that we want to talk about is the deep water horizon spill. As some of our listeners may not remember this, or maybe it wasn't big news in your part of the world, but it sure was in ours. So travel with us. April 20th, 2010. In the Gulf of Mexico, one mile underwater, there's something called the Macondo oil well. And this is extracting, this is built to extract, uh, some of those reservoirs we're talking about. And this is a massive reservoir, right? It's good business until that is the well blows apart, which is bad medicine for the semi-submersible oil rig atop the water a mile up extracting this oil. It's known as the deep water horizon and it explodes, killing 11 workers, injuring 17 and letting a massive deluge of oil through the Gulf of Mexico for a long time, for a very long time. This is a, for about 87 days. This is a place where, uh, this is a place where a third of the U S seafood arrives from. This is a place where all along the shore, there, there are beaches, there are small towns that rely on, you know, tourism. Yeah. The entire space is built on seafood and tourism. Mm -hmm. I mean, really that almost all of it. And BP, which was the operator of Deepwater Horizon, uh, immediately goes into panic mode. And they say, okay, we're going to hire so many people. We're going to mitigate this disaster as best we can. 
because we're talking about, by the time this is all said and done, we're talking about 210 million gallons of oil. Which is something that's hard to visualize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so BP finds something co- they call a dispersant. And they say, we're going to put out 1.84 million gallons of this dispersant. And here's what the dispersant will do. It will, uh, it will attach itself to the oil in the water. It'll break that oil into droplets and disperse those droplets into the vast reaches of the Gulf so that it doesn't reach the shoreline. Yeah. So, so we'll make it uh, less concentrated and now it's not going to be such a big deal because, oh, you know, not all the shrimp are going to get, you know, infected with oil. Didn't it also supposedly make it easier to like soak up using some other materials that they had? They would put, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They would not nets exactly, but there was some sort of material they would cast out that supposedly would like actually soak up the oil. Right. Yeah. The The dispersant wasn't the only thing they were doing because again, this is just so much oil. This Mm -hmm. is one of the largest spills, accidental spills in history. And so they were, throwing everything they could at it. And the best thing about this dispersant, which uh, its brand name or street name was Core Exit, was that it was, if you follow the right precautions, officially, uh, it was safe to use. So all these all these employees who were hired to help combat this disaster. Or volunteered. Or volunteers, in many cases, uh, were also going to be taken care of. And, and you know, the residents... Uh, in affected areas. Yeah, everybody's safe. Right. Better core exit than oil, right? At least that is until hundreds to thousands of workers on the cleanup started having strange ailments, you know, muscle spasms, short-term memory loss. Hot, and I'm not talking about hopping in the car and forgetting where you're driving or walking into a room and forgetting why you walked in. I'm talking about hopping into a car, realizing you're not wearing pants, which is funny. Until it really happens to you. Well, yeah, it's wasn't. These are symptoms that are similar to things to uh, symptoms that were being experienced by veterans. Yeah, with like the Gulf War syndrome stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's according to Michael Robicho, a Louisiana physician, and he was a former state senator. He found 114 patients with these similar complaints, and he said he's never seen this grouping of symptoms together: skin problems, neurological impairments, plus pulmonary problems at least until other people recognize this as so similar to uh, those who suffer from Gulf War syndrome, which maybe we should cover too in an upcoming episode. So July 15th, the well is finally plugged. This is the biggest oil leak in world history. 210 million gallons of oil mm-hmm. into the Gulf of Mexico. Yep, 210. The The thing is now, Despite the enormity of this disaster, it's not often remembered, even though it is one of, it, it, here's the thing. It is one of, it leads to one of the largest, uh, most expensive corporate trials in U.S. history. Uh, while this stuff is happening, BP is, is trying to mitigate the environmental damage, but they're also doing damage control for their, their public uh, persona, right? I'm pretty sure that perceived. I just have to jump in and say, in my opinion, not the opinion in how, of how stuff works or any of our parent companies, Matt Frederick, citing his opinion here, I believe that the damage control began to save 
or at least mitigate the effects on the company itself well before anybody made calls about, you know, saving lives. And that's just my opinion because mm-hmm. it felt that way and the steps that were taking the Corexit itself, the dispersant that was supposed to help people, you know, we found out that it caused terrible things to humans who were working with it. But we also found out that it didn't actually disperse anything. What it did is it it clumped up with the oil and it sank it to the bottom so that cameras couldn't see, not to mention the no-fly zone that was instituted over top of most of the Gulf of Mexico when it was happening. Right. I, I just get, sorry, I, no, I, get, no, no. I get a little, I get upset because I remember when we were covering this, we made a video about it and I uh-huh. was really deep into it and I just... Uh, it, it, there's so many people who are affected by it. And then BP ended up getting out of a lot of the money that they were going to have to pay. Right. But it does, it does go on from there at least. Well, I, you know, I, I'm glad you, you anticipated, uh, that we're talking about the fly, no fly zone because that's going to come up. Uh, but I do have to respectfully disagree because companies of this size mm, have the ability to do both of those things concurrently. You know, I, I, I am completely sure that a plan exists for this sort of stuff on the PR side as well as on the emergency response side because that has to be in place. Well, it should be in place uh, just for insurance purposes. Okay. So I'm not saying it's altruism. I'm saying that it's a necessary step in doing business. And also like having a high-profile response um, to uh, aid people that the public would see as being victims of this right mm-hmm. off the bat, not to mention the long-term victims in terms of the uh, people that lost their businesses, lost their livelihood. I think that's an important part of any PR oh, yeah, uh, yeah. campaign, you and, know, yeah. to be seen as being quick to respond mm-hmm. and to take care of our own people, you know, who were putting their lives in danger to, you know, make us a whole lot of money. Yeah, just so, don't worry yeah. about the residents of the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, there's a lot that goes into this, Matt, there, and it continues. I, I, I'm mm. right there with you. And I remember when uh, this was happening, the thought that occurred to me was there, it's never going to be the same ever again. Like, you know, this is sort of like uh, with Fukushima. And, you know, that proved to not necessarily be the case with both of those things. But I remember my brain at the time seeing that oil gushing out on TV and it's like, how, how, how is it still, how is it still gushing? How is this possible? Now that was definitely, there was definitely image management there because this is something that um, Matt and I talked about when we were making the video, which was this no fly zone is supposedly for safety or some other <clears throat> nominally reasonable cause. Uh, it seemed like it was just as plausible that this would be to prevent mass media images of gigantic oil slicks, right? Uh, nautical miles wide. But the, uh, the other part of it is I used to have a job before I worked here. It's true. Ladies and gentlemen, I didn't always work here. And in that job, people would call me when disasters occurred. This could be something as small as hitting a deer in the backwoods of Ohio. This could be something as personally catastrophic as your house, part of your house burning down. This could be something disastrous, like the old lady who called me during Hurricane Katrina because she was in the third floor of her house. The water was rising and no one else would answer the phone. And having encountered situations like this, one of the first things that happened is that whomever is supposed to be the first line of response for a uh, 
you know, for like call this number in case of a disaster, an oil leak, have very, very stringent rules about what they can and cannot say. Of course. And how to essentially refer people to someone else who will refer them to someone else. And it's a, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. I have a difficult time ascribing motives with certitude, but we can measure actions. And if you would like to learn more about the Deepwater Horizon, you know, I, I would ask, uh, I would ask you to check out our video on that. Now it's early in our career. It's early in our strange experiment of stuff they don't want you to know. So, uh, be kind. <laughs> Well, yeah, and a lot of there were a lot of pending things with litigation going on at that time and fines that were trying to be levied against BP and then they would get out of some of them and then there would be more fines laid on them. And then these felonies came along a little bit later. Um, I was reading this thing in the New York Times, Ben, that BP agreed to pay $18.7 billion in total. Like paying out claims. And the fact that they can do that and still exist. What does that tell you about the, the, the magnitude of a company like that? And just the oil industry, the fossil fuel industry at large. I mean, it's just a, 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 a leviathan. And again, I'm, I'm going to say like it is, it, it is true. It's similar to a large, uh, international banking system, whereas fees for breaking the law become part of the business, but it is not the same. Because, uh, these are not anticipated events. And at worst, what they committed beforehand would maybe be negligence. I mean, it's so convenient to, it's so convenient to, um, have black and white villains. It is so convenient, but it is not realistic. And I, I don't agree with, uh, the actions personally. Uh, but as far as the facts, uh, the facts speak for themselves. So regardless of how you feel, uh, on a personal level, listeners, about what occurred with the Deepwater Horizon spill, that tragedy, uh, Congress, uh, or the Department of Justice actually gives, uh, gives British Petroleum 14 felonies. They plead guilty, uh, and one of these included lying to Congress. Another included a $4.5 billion fine, the largest fine of its time ever levied against a corporation in the U.S. So, I wouldn't call this a happy ending, but it is an ending um, of sorts. And that, this is not to say that people, some of you listening now may be feeling the effects of core exit or be still living in an area that remains affected by this spill. This is, you know, by far not the only example of these sorts of things. Uh, there is another story that takes place a little bit further south in Ecuador. The Lago Agrio oil field, uh, was, is an oil rich area near the city of Nueva Loja in the province of Sugumbios, Ecuador. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, oil was discovered there in the sixties, right? And it's known internationally now for the ecological problems that oil development created there. So this is the water's polluted, the soil's contaminated, uh, and, you know, the trees are, are being mowed down. Since 1993, lawyers have tried to force uh, Texaco and its parent company, Chevron, to clean up the area and to take care of or provide, you know, medical care compensation for the people who are affected. Uh, in February 2011, uh, Ecuadorian court said, hey, Chevron, you owe the people of this area $8 billion in, in compensation. 
And Chevron said, nah, nah, B, that's illegitimate. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That was a really good Chevron impersonation. Thank you. Thank you. Um, some people do Christopher Walken. I specialize in Chevron. Uh, the, in 2014, however, um, the, a U.S. court said that this verdict was obtained illegally, essentially. And said there was bribing, there was corruption, there was racketeering. Uh, but I'm sorry. Can I stop you for one yeah. second? That term racketeering, I just love. But mm-hmm. what, what does it really mean? Ra- racketeering is a because uh, you always think of the mafia, right? And that movie, The Rocketeer. <laughs> but what, yes, the mafia. What happened in, in the? Oh, uh, he wore a helmet and had a rocket suit, and you know, fought the Nazis. Um, totally different word entirely. But, but if you yeah. would, I'm sure some other people. Maybe rocketeering. This, uh, okay, so. Racketeering is, uh, it's kind of a slang term and it comes from racket. So the reason a lot of people, including myself, associate it with the mafia is because it's like an organized crime thing. It's when an organized group or institution or association runs an illegal business, right? So we're, uh, fixing horse races. Got we're, it. uh, what's a, what's a good illegal thing? Loan sharking. We're loan sharking. Yeah, Matt and I and you get in the loan shark business. Completely legal. That's more or less the image that I had of it, but I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> or we're lobbying in a country where that's le- illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyhow, so the U.S. court in 2014 says, okay, we'll grant you this injunction because these, this ruling had crime involved, you know, in reaching it and, you know, involved coercion and stuff like that. No court system in the world will be able to enforce this um this ruling uh however and, and you know this is not to say that uh chevron didn't um didn't go back and forth on saying well we did attempt to clean or remediate the area we've we've done what we we're supposed to do or there's no proof that this is associated with us or that most of these crude spills occurred after uh texaco withdrew uh so the impact here is according to the plaintiffs that there's a, a spike in cancer rates and uh that it's due to contamination of the water uh, but the oil company maintains that there's no causal link you know there's no causation so after after all of this happens uh people have people have gone back and forth with various the fight got very very dirty and it, it, it continues today because, uh, there were some tapes or video that was a video acquired by people fighting on the Ecuadorian side that apparently showed, uh, engineers and contractors for the oil company just disregarding the proof saying like, Oh, uh, let's, let's check here and see if there's still oil in the area. Yeah, you can find some of those on Live Leak. I've seen several mm-hmm. of those. Right. It's just blatant. Yeah. And then uh the uh I almost call it the Chevronian side, but the uh the oil company side says, well, we also found videos where a wherein an Ecuadorian judge during the time that the trial was going on just said out and out, All right, yeah, you know, whatever. I, they're guilty. I'll just I'll like I'll basically sit through it and then just say they're guilty. Like, don't don't worry. Don't you don't you worry your pretty head. Uh, and you know, it's illegal for a judge to do that. Yeah. Or, and, and, uh, I'm sure that some judges have, but 
you know, it's also, you got caught on video doing that. Uh, however, it turned out in a publication that one of the people associated with recording that video was actually someone who was contracted with Chevron and blackmailed them. And that person was moved to the U.S. at Chevron's dime and paid an undisclosed settlement amount. Wow. Never would have expected that. So uh as we are, you know, uh, I think that it's still in the system now there's still a legal battle going on and we're not sure how it's how it's going to work out there's a lot of money at stake and also the time horizon for this is very long you know if you can afford legal representation then you have a case and you're a company you have a case that could potentially become immortal in court and it helps if you you know produce oil because then you're basically just pulling money out of the ground Billions and billions of dollars. That's an interesting way to look at it. It's also more and more expensive, though, to to create oil, to to refine it, to find it. Like Norway is going to be quite possibly in a lot of trouble because the um the system of Norway, right, wherein the oil is pulled into a state-owned corporation, a lot of the the budgeting for that is based on a price point for a barrel of oil, which is far higher than there is now. You know, so. This being um, involved with oil as a state or as a company does not make one immune. Not saying immune. I'm saying filthy rich. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, Podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424 Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is something that occurred to me at the top of the show. Um, You know, with the Deepwater Horizon, for example, that's just the kind of unmitigated disaster that's just so in the public consciousness, you know, and it's just on TV and it's just on everybody's mind. You can't really cover it up. There's things you could probably do, as you were saying, Matt, to kind of mitigate what the damages will be to your company in terms of how much you have to pay out, et cetera. Um, but this, uh, this Ecuador uh, story to me seems like one that would be easier to cover up, not easier, but it's just, you know, this is not what is a top of mind for many people when they think about um, these kinds of things. And I think that is proof positive that there are um, public relations uh, efforts that do stick. They people, the companies, they rewrite history so that it benefits them. And so, you know, you don't remember these things and it happens all the time. You When's know, when the last time that you ate bacon for breakfast, you know, that's a good question, too. Well, yeah, it's the um, it's the out of sight, out of mind thing, right? That's um, it's happening in Ecuador and in the American in the American public's mind that just it stinks, but that's the way it is. And I mean, you know, even talking about the Deepwater Horizon thing, I mean, I was enraged, and I, you know, thinking back on it now, am still obviously, but it's certainly not something I've been dwelling on daily, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that this, these efforts succeed. Well, it was almost six years ago. It's true, Matt, but can you think of anything that's happened in those six years that was as just drastically, you know, damaging to our environment, you know, oh, and closer to, to home, closer to home, affecting the lives of people you may know? I, I don't know. Hmm. It's just it's a biggie. See your point. Maybe that's why I'm still feels like an open wound. Even though I wasn't even affected that hard, which is crazy. I'm just one of those people who goes on the internet and whines about it, I guess. No, it's easy to internalize these things too. I mean, you're an empathetic person, as I think are we all in this room for the most part. No, nah, I have three feelings a year. That's fair. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited. The first one's going to kick in around August. Okay. Well, I look forward to that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, one, one point I want to also make the sort toward us is, are we, not in some way responsible for these sorts of things if we live in an oil powered civilization. Exactly. Right. Uh, and is there, is there, this is such a dangerous question. Is there some way to look at the cost benefit on a large scale? And is there some part in the deep dark recesses of your American consumer mind that's like, well, that's just the cost of doing business. 
I don't think it's, I don't think it's entirely fair to call it an American consumer mind, uh, because there are consumers around the world. Of course, but I just yeah. mean in terms of our consumption of oil as a country and our dependence on it and just, you know, we won't be able to drive our cars around, you know, we mm. want all that stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Every time I get into my little conversion SUV thing, I have this tremendous guilt. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm such a hypocrite. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm going to go, I'm going to go lay down in the corner, guys. So in, and I understand these are two separate cases we've talked about so far, Deepwater Horizon and the case in Ecuador. In one case, uh, there was, in, in one case, one of the contentions was that it was, uh, happened, uh, pretty far in the past now, six years and then for Deepwater 1993 for the other one in the case of Ecuador uh it was the idea that maybe this is a something happening in a foreign country so it's a bit easier to remove it from the public mind so what then uh what would happen then in the case where there was something that was happening immediately like now today and it was a little bit closer to home that would be like the situation that's happening in California at the Aliso Canyon storage facility that holds natural gas and or methane. Uh, yeah, there's a big leak happening right there. It's pretty insane. Yeah, so uh, a runaway natural gas leak right above L.A. Um, has emitted more than 150 million pounds of methane since last October. And you guys, I wasn't even aware of this story until we started doing this, so... Just case in point. <laughs> For real. Yeah. It's I, in a place called Porter Ranch, north of Los Angeles, as you said there. Uh, it's a, it's a fairly affluent community or it's fairly well off. Uh, thousands of people in the area had to evacuate. Um, we, we know about this. It's, it's not widespread reporting, but it's not being exactly kept under, uh, wraps. Uh, the story starts around October 23rd, uh, according to Amy Goodman, uh, the community was overtaken by noxious gases. Neighbors were reporting, you know, the smell. They weren't feeling well, getting dizzy and thinking perhaps one house had a, a major gas leak. Yeah. I think there's one, there's a bit of a, a time frame there around the 23rd because the 23rd is when the gas company itself reported or the Alyssa, the Alyssa Canyon storage facility actually reported that there is a leak, an active leak going on. And there are a couple of stories from families who were experiencing the, the things you're talking about, Ben, like the weird smells, like what is going on? Why is this happening right now? Uh, a little bit, a little bit before that, just because it, it was maybe caught a little, not mm -hmm. late, but a little later by the company itself. And the, the company to which we're referring in this story is Southern California Gas, SoCal Gas, Southern California Gas Company. On the 28th of October, a few days later, uh, they went public with a leak. And so Amy Goodman from Democracy Now! reports that the leak is so severe that it will actually account for a quarter of the entire state of California's methane emissions in just one month. One of the other really bad things is that methane is <laughs> uh, not good for overall global climate change. It's 86 times worse than carbon dioxide over a 20 year period. Um, and then this one, you know, this one leak is just putting so much of it out into the 
out in the atmosphere. I think it's 1,200 metric tons of methane released every day from this one leak. And the worst part is that there are experts actively working to try and stop this thing. There are people out there right now, as we're recording this, trying to drill down and make it stop. But it's it's going to take time. It's going to take a long time. Till about March, right? Yes. Uh, so on Monday, January 18th, SoCal Gas is required to put forward a detailed schedule of how this will be handled. Uh, the running bets right now are that this will occur in this, this leak will be closed plausibly in March. Everybody's hoping for earlier. I have a question though, guys. Um, why do you think this story is getting comparatively less attention than the Deepwater Horizon. I mean, what you're describing to me is essentially a natural gas version of what happened with Deepwater Horizon, it sounds like. It's a continued leak that is causing problems, health problems, you know, uh, with the people that live in that area, and it's not stopped. It hasn't been plugged yet. It's ongoing. Why do you think this is something that's not as visible Maybe that's the answer. Yeah, right there. exactly. Okay. So <laughs> I was going to say what my first argument would be. It goes back to the out of sight, out of, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing, because methane is an invisible gas. You cannot see it with your naked eye. The only way you can see it is through infrared, getting a FLIR camera. Uh, and a couple, couple groups did do that. Uh, Earthworks, a nonprofit organization got a FLIR camera out there. So you could really see this is huge. It looks like black smoke just kind of billowing through and following the wind. Um, that's pretty scary. Methane isn't, I mean, it, it it's going to cause some ill uh, effects on your health if you're exposed to it for long periods or enough of it at high enough concentrations, but it's not the, it's not quite as dangerous, right? And I don't know, maybe that's why it's also, I don't know, there are a lot of, what do you think, Ben? Uh, well, we probably would be remiss if we didn't mention a no-fly zone instituted. One of the uh, one of the questions being, is this instituted to prevent exposure to methane from people flying in the airspace, or is this instead to uh, protect the image of the company? I could I could clearly see it being to protect the airspace, especially given that um, if it's a very busy part. Of, you know, if it's, if it's a part where there are a lot of commercial airlines flying, then you don't want to complicate that by having them fly through some sort of, uh, methane volcano. Or, you know, God forbid, somehow ignite, you know, a cloud. It is that. flammable at certain concentrations. So what do you think the, uh, the future of this is? Do you think there's a cover up afoot? I think the the cover up is just a completely not completely a highly deregulated industry the en- energy industry and I think it's more about politics than anything else just you profits over you know consequences but at the same time uh there's so many different ways to look at it I think that for me is the biggest issue like with the deepwater horizon thing another similarity are the blast caps that Many countries at the time had in place when you're, when a leak begins to happen in a deep water drilling site, there are in a lot of places, uh, caps that explode and seal the entire thing when something starts leaking really badly like that and it contains it through deregulation. We didn't have to do that. Uh, at least people who are operating in the Gulf of Mexico 
through the United States didn't have to do that. Okay, so in that case then, with both of those cases, one of the arguments, it sounds like one of the arguments would be that if there's any um, conspiratorial or cover-up stuff, it can be found in the pre-disaster phase. Yeah, and unfortunately, unfortunately, it's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of things that I probably am not a smart enough human to go through and find the minutia and the, the small legalese that makes the difference between something being safe and not safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not an expert in a lot of these fields, but, you know, I, I think that's where you find it and it's going to require more looking on my part. Well, we are definitely, uh, as far as I know, none of us are oil exploration engineers, right? Uh, or oil rig workers, but you listeners may well be. And I know that the oil industry is suffering some, uh, tremendous, uh, shifts that are affecting, affecting people across the world in terms of their employment, their quality of life. Uh, if you are affiliated with this industry, I would love to hear the inside scoop. What do you think the future of this stuff is? How do companies handle these disasters? And if you're game, do you have knowledge of a cover-up? You guys, if we're wrapped up on the topic today, I did just want to end the show with one thing. Um, as uh, I'm sure all of you or many of you know, um, David Bowie uh, passed away this week or on Sunday. And uh, just wanted to say in terms of what we talk about on the show, I think besides the fact that, you know, for me personally, it was a real hero musically. I mean, I'm a musician and I've uh, been a fan of his work for a long time, but he did something very, very interesting um, when he passed away. This is something that I don't think you could say many people, celebrities or otherwise are able to do in that he really controlled the way that people experienced his death. Uh, he released a record on his birthday, which was Friday of last week, um, before he passed away. And then he released uh, two music videos, both of which are visually stunning. They're fantastic. They're fantastic. But one in particular for the song Lazarus, um, shows him in a hospital bed with a blindfold on with little button eyes and kind of like writhing around doing this sort of St. Vitus's dance kind of thing. And there are several versions of him. One is the one in the hospital bed. One is sort of like wearing this Harlequin kind of like tight fitting, like a, almost a mime costume. And there's another one who's uh, puzzling over papers at a desk, like a writing desk. And there are, are lyrics in the song where he's talking about, he says, look, man, I'm in heaven. You know, I got scars that you can't see. And, as was, uh, you know, made known when he did pass away, he had been suffering from cancer for 18 months, meaning that he knew his fate the whole time he was making this record. And especially when he was making these uh, companion videos and, um, you know, it's been a pretty emotional couple of days for me. I, I don't really get affected by people, you know, celebrities quote unquote passing away, but this one hit pretty hard. And I just think it was pretty, a, a really, incredible sign of his artistry and his mind that he was totally able to set the tone for the way people experienced his passing. And I think that's very uh, unique. And I just wanted to, you know, express that. Well, thank you, Noel. I know. Yeah. I know my wife uh, was pretty upset about it. I, you know, I guess I'm a cold hearted person. I really like him, but I'm, I, Robin Williams affected me in the way that you're experiencing his death. 
I also think that we're going to see conspiracy theories pop up around this album and around the way he, you know, kind of did this, controlled this, mm-hmm. um, kept it quiet. You know, nobody knew except for a very few confidants uh, that he was was dying. And um, I just think it's interesting when people are able to control their legacy in that way, because so many musicians, especially, they just let it go. You know, like they just keep doing it for money and they just, you know, end up uh, doing things that are not um, in their best interest, doing things that are not artistically sound, that are not in line with the good work they've done in the past. And he never really did that. And uh, to the last, he kind of like really owned his image. And I just thought that was pretty fascinating. And I think we'll continue to hear about things you know uh, revolving around this process all right guys so if you have experienced anything like an oil spill like if you were out there cleaning up after Deepwater horizon if you know anyone who has if you want to talk to us about that if you lived in socal where you're being affected by any of this stuff let us know i want to i'd like to hear your experiences there or if, if you're in ecuador and you have a little more information about what exactly is going on there. Yeah, what's it like now? And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is one eight three three stdwytk If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. 
What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid back nature. He's a family man and being a country mega star while also having seven kids. You know, he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. 